going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That is right. It is the Going Deep podcast. And on this edition, we go deep on all things F1 in Las Vegas. Or maybe that's not exactly true because Las Vegas is much more than the Las Vegas Grand Prix that is coming to it. It is much more than gambling and partying. It's become a huge sports city. The Super Bowl, as you well know, is going to be there in February. It has become the go-to destination for big-time sports events, whether that is a sports road trip with your partner, like I'm looking forward to doing, or your friends, or if you're the corporate sector and you're looking for a place to entertain and consume big-time sports, but not without a lot of intentional work. I was actually recently in Las Vegas touring different sports facilities and entertainment properties, as one would do. The job is tough. I know, I know. But I wanted to see up close and personal. I wanted to go deep on what's happening on the Strip and why it's happening and what it entails. And F1, which is coming up, is a good jumping off point. It is the first F1 race that Liberty Media is producing themselves. Normally, these races are franchised. Well, the F1 is taking hold of this race for the first time. We'll be there for a decade, and they're closing the strip to do it. That's right. The Las Vegas Strip, Las Vegas Boulevard, is a portion of the track. Oh, they have closed the strip before for New Year's Eve or parades or even the NFL draft, but that is... Over the course of a couple hours or a day, not days. So I wanted to figure out what that means for the city and what type of opportunity will we see for the properties in and around the Las Vegas Strip and the sign of the times, what the big sports leagues and entities like F1 and the NBA soon with the in-season tournament having their final four in Las Vegas What those signs are telling us about what's happening in Las Vegas specifically. No better person to ask than Andrew Lanzino, who I sat down with at the Bellagio Hotel. He is the vice president of event strategy and sports partnerships for MGM. And with him, I discussed Formula One in Las Vegas and the transformation of the strip to prepare for the event. Let's go deep on F1 in Vegas with Andrew Lanzino. So, Andrew, uh, I don't know uh, if I should pray for you or hug you. You've been on a treadmill, and I'm probably missing something, but it essentially went Pro Bowl, NFL draft, you know, now F1, Super Bowl on the way, so it's not even the light at the end of the tunnel. Yet, what are the challenges in managing what has become a real sports destination for you and for the properties that you're managing? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's actually been good for for Vegas. I mean, we we have the infrastructure in place, unlike some cities where we can we can do this. We do this every weekend. Right. We, we move people in and out. Um, it's just now we're 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 recognized as this sports destination because of the teams that we have. Um, but really, it's I wouldn't say it's it's stressful as much as it's just a different type of of tourist. If we compared 10, 15, 20 years ago, has the infrastructure, the capacity changed at all in Vegas or has it just been added exposure given the pro teams that you mentioned? Yeah, I think I think each added team exposes the city to a new demographic who who you know, almost experiences the city for a new time. I think F1 is a perfect example of that where we're going to have, I think it's more than 50% of the attendees are, are visiting Vegas for the first time, uh, as it was a stat I heard. And so, you know, we get to reintroduce or, or introduce the city to a new demographic of people for each sporting event that comes our way. 
I think there's long been an assumption that, you know, if you want to gamble, if you want to party, Vegas is for you. I don't really do either, but I love sports. So I've been a bit of an evangelist of this is like a sports destination. Catering to that audience specifically, uh, what are the opportunities uh, for properties like yours? Yeah, I think over over the last probably two decades or more, I mean, if you go back, you know, Vegas was primarily gaming. Everything here existed as an amenity to gaming. And I think over the last two decades, and you saw this with the emergence of the different types of food and beverage offerings and the celebrity chefs and and the you know Michelin stars that are now here versus the $1.99 buffets, that Vegas has become so much more than just gaming. It is an entertainment city. We have more residencies with uh, um, more concerts that are coming here, more of these kind of food uh, immersive experiences that are appearing. Um, you know, it is it is so much more than gaming. I think, you know, if you look at the stats over the years, we at one point in our history, I think it was 75 percent of our revenue as a city came from gaming. And as of, I think, the last uh, pre even pre covid, it's been about 25 percent. Um, of the revenues are coming from gaming. Most of them come from food, beverage, entertainment, uh, hotel, etc. When we look at the race specifically, obviously Liberty Media and F1 wanted to grow in the United States. Vegas was one of those destinations. But this race is different. They're really owning it. They're producing it themselves. In terms of preparing for F1 being here and the halo effect, what comes into play? You know, I think that F1 uh, and Las Vegas have this great overlap of fan bases. And so, you know, the, the, the type of international exposure that Vegas is going to get and the type of domestic glamour that comes from a street nighttime race in Vegas, I think benefits both of our companies. And so, you know, getting Vegas into Las Vegas and really getting them to understand the city um, you know, took us took us a few years. I think we've been working on this since 2020 um, uh, between uh, uh, Vegas, the city and, and F1 and Liberty Media. Um, but I think they've gotten to a point now where, you know, they love the city. They love what this race can be in the city. And so do we. So I want to correct you. There's a lot of a mission there. Street nighttime race in Vegas on the strip. Which comes with its own set of uh, logistical problems. It's not as if the race is in Henderson. It's uh, right here. And it's on the strip right in front of the Bellagio, right in front of, uh, you know, an iconic setting. Unlike other events that have shut down the strip, whether it was the NFL draft or parades, those are a day or hour events. This is a couple days. What is that going to entail? Yeah, you know, the, it, it's, it was not an easy logistical lift. Um, you know, it, it, it took some time. But the, the interesting thing I think about this race is it, they are going to open it every single day. So it is not going to be shut down for three days. It's going to be shut down for a portion of the day when the track is hot. And then they're going to reopen it. And Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you will be able to drive on the strip, on the track itself. Um, and then they reclose it down and get it prepared for the race again. Um, you know, it, it, I think the, the bigger logistical lift was getting everything prepared for the track. There was a lot of construction, a lot of road work that had to happen. Luckily, that is, you know, once every five to seven years, I think they've been quoted as, as saying. And so, you know, we've we kind of went through most of that pain already this year. And I think, you know, in years future that that uh, the pain of that construction will fade. And, uh, you know, with the with the reopening of the of the track, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a great race for everybody. Not as big of a list logistical lift but one people care about is removal of trees and fountains not being up which you realize that some people are coming to vegas for vegas how do you manage expectations for everyone that's going to be uh, in town both for the race and both just to enjoy uh, the strip at large yeah. So the 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 good news is is that the 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 trees are coming back, right? So <laughs> we 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 uh, whether we built the the structure 
uh, Bellagio Fountain Club or not, the trees would have had to get removed for the infrastructure for the track anyway. Um, and, it, you know, some of the trees were not doing um, as well. But um, now we have the trees. Uh, most of them are, are fine. And we are going to create them and bring them back so that we can bring them in and out every single year. But the goal of this was to create, I mean, we, we understand the iconography of the Bellagio Fountains to Las Vegas. Um, creating this Bellagio Fountain Club was meant to highlight those fountains for an international stage. Uh, the good news is it's a temporary building. Um, by the time New Year's rolls around, it'll be like it never happened, right? And people will be able to walk up and down and in front as if nothing had changed. And so uh, the fountains will be back, uh, and I'm excited to say the trees will be back as well. I'm sure when you uh, applied for this job, you didn't think managing expectations around trees was going to be part of it. A big part of it would be showcasing the property and you know, having uh, essentially you know, the medalists being honored after the race really right in front of that iconic setting a logistical challenge, but a huge uh, opportunity. What goes into planning around something like that? That is an, another, and nothing is easy on these these plannings, but um, we're lucky to be founding partners with the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And we had talked about this over the last 18 months as being a, a moment that we think could showcase what a Vegas race could be uh, for F1. And so we've worked with Las Vegas Grand Prix F1 and the FIA, who manages the the uh, is the governing body of the the races, to be able to create a moment where yes, after the race is over with, on their cool down lap, the top three drivers will stop. They will actually open up the race barriers. The drivers will get out. They'll go on that stage. There will be a media moment. The fountains will go off. They'll be able to do interviews. Um, we actually have the F1 theme song. Um, that is going to play over the fountains, which is going to be pretty interesting for them to, to, to see. Um, and then they go off to their podium moment. So we theoretically get the drivers before anyone else, right? The top three. Um, but it, 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 is a, it is a ballet between multiple entities to get that done. One thing we saw with uh, F1 going to Miami was the amount of luxury and amenities that really can be provided in an immersive way around the race, maybe even more so than what we've seen in the past in Europe. Vegas is known for being a great host. What are those opportunities going to look like for people in and around the race based off of uh, what you're planning? Uh, I mean, we have... We have, uh, if you go to our site, there's an entire list of uh, uh, amenities and, and activations that we are providing across all of our properties, um, from the Shoei Bar that's going to be at the Bellagio Portico Share, uh, where people can actually drink out of a shoe and celebrate you know, in a 360 camera, um, to Alfa Romeo doing an entire immersive experience in the Aria Lobby. Um, you know, we're, we're blessed that we've got you know, some of the most iconic properties on the Strip. Uh, about half the Las Vegas Strip is our MGM Resorts, uh, from Bellagio down to Mandalay Bay and everything in between. And so we have, you know, a unique opportunity to, to work with all of our partners to create different experiences at different properties and manifest even multiple experiences. You know, Red Bull will be at, uh, at Bellagio Fountain Club. Red Bull will also be at, at uh, MGM Grand. And so we have the ability to create these really unique spots uh, where different brands and different properties can showcase themselves. I think we even have Ferrari uh, is uh, coming in to, uh, to Bellagio, I think, in the next week to do a, a, a complete pop-up in the retail hallway here. With that demand, you have the opportunity to do some dynamic pricing. What has the trends that you've noticed in terms of demand and, and want to be in the properties in around the strip around race day? Um, I think uh, I think this, the city as a whole, and I think us as well, the hotels that are closest to the race. This is a street race in the middle of the city. It is being billed as a walking race. Um, you know, they, Las Vegas Grand Prix says that you can get everywhere in this race 30 minutes walking or three hours driving. Right. And so so all of our hotels that are next to the track are um, are getting a lot of demand. And, uh, you know, we have to make sure that we manage that demand. 
Um, I think some of our other hotels that are a little further away are becoming the more economical solution for most of the people who are coming to the race who may not want the glitz and the glamour of being right there in the action, but want to still be able to see the race. And so I think for MGM Resorts, we have, uh, we have offerings at every level for every customer. Talk about managing demand, and I know that every year more consumers come into Las Vegas Super Bowl weekend than actually go to the Super Bowl host site. The Super Bowl site happens to be in Las Vegas. So can you even project what the demand will be that weekend? We we have a pretty good idea. I think we're we are now, uh, you know, I, we're almost halfway sold uh, as far as our rooms. Um, and but it's it is it is going to be probably the biggest Super Bowl weekend that we have. Uh, not only our normal people who come in just to experience and and bet on the the, the Super Bowl itself. But we have all of the NFL and all of their corporate partners and everybody that kind of follows the Super Bowl around from city to city also coming in. So it's a it's actually a pretty good mix of us where usually it's very gaming heavy. Um, A lot of our gaming customers want to come in and have a party and bet and watch the Super Bowl. Um, We're actually pretty evenly mixed between that group and uh, what I'll call like a corporate convention group who's coming in because they they go to the Super Bowl with their. Uh, their brand every single year. The other massive part of that sub-economy that comes in uh, is us, the media, and managing that uh, and making sure that you're staffed for that, but also you know, balancing the exposure that comes with it. What goes into that decision-making around working with media partners, whether they're rights holders for the actual game or international media just covering the spectacle that is Super Bowl? Oh, that's probably a better, (laughs) it's probably a better, uh, better conversation with, I mean, we have a great media team that, that manages these relationships year in and year out. Right. Because again, much like these events, we, we do this every weekend. We do this all the time. And so every weekend there is somebody here, there is something happening and there's always a buzz that is happening in this city. Um, and so we, uh, you know, talk to media all the time. Um, and, and I think that is one of our things. And, and one of the great things about this city is that even though we may be competitors up and down the strip, we are very collaborative when it comes to promoting the city outside of the city, right? Working with the LVCBA to really get the, the media and the attention and the events like F1 into this city or like the Super Bowl into this city does good for all of us. And so I think that from a media perspective, we do a pretty good job both internally as a company, but also as a city, really showcasing what Vegas has to offer. Since they've been here, the Raiders have also been a real partner. You can't go to a game like I have uh, this past weekend without noticing the MGM rewards uh, front and center. Uh, But Super Bowls famously are not necessarily the host club it's the nfl who's running the show what will that look like in terms of an opportunity around super bowl sunday uh, given that it's not the same as a run-of-the-mill raiders game yeah you know we have uh we have a pretty good relationship with the nfl we have a good relationship with the teams um and you know we 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 as many of the um uh hotel and casino resorts in this city Um, will have a presence at that uh, stadium. For us, you know, we have our MGM Rewards suite, which is the biggest suite in any NFL NFL stadium. I think that is still the case as of today. I know it was the case when it was built, Um, but we had bought four suites and knocked on all the walls and created a massive suite. Um, And so for the Super Bowl, we still have our same products. And then, um, you know, I think that it's going to be a little bit um, it's going to be a little bit different, I think, for Vegas. You know, much like F1, it never happened here, right? We've always had it. We've always had F1. We've always had Super Bowl. We never actually had it here in the market. So for us, it's really understanding the customers and the people who came to Vegas to experience uh, a viewing party and what that was like. Would Are they going to want to go to the game? And what does that look like? And how do we cater to both of those types of people? Um, it'll be. I think it'll be a great weekend. Um, if it if it's not the best weekend, um, it will be the second best after F one. Um, but I think those two weekends back to back are going to be the two best weekends that Vegas has ever seen. 
given what you're managing in the next 10 days and a couple months, you probably don't want to think about any other weekends. But is there anything else big coming, whether it's the NBA in-season tournament or uh, future things uh, that might be of that ilk that you see uh, being a real opportunity and making a dent in the landscape? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that the NBA in-season tournament is, I think, going to be a great thing for December. And, and again, we, we're going to be hitting this one after another after another. Between F1, the NBA in-season tournament, New Year's, which is always huge here, then we've got uh, CES, and then we have uh, uh, Super Bowl, and the same week as Super Bowl is our Lunar New Year, which is a huge event here in Las Vegas. Um, where we have a lot of international visitation that come in. And so it's going to be a, you know, for the next, I think we're about 105 days maybe or 100. Yeah. Is it 100 days? 99. We're 99 days now from Super Bowl. We're 10 days from, uh, from F1. And we have four months of probably the biggest events that, that Vegas has ever put on back to back to back to back. Given all that, do you foresee, uh, lastly, any room for further growth, for further opportunity? Is there more meat on the bone, whether it's for your properties or for the city when it comes to engaging in major sporting events? Yeah, you know, I think I think we're always on the lookout as a city with LVCVA for more events that, that help Vegas grow and evolve. And so, uh, I mean, I, I, I would, I don't think you'd be surprised that, you know, at some point in the future, I think NBA will, will have a team here in Las Vegas. Um, I think that any time that we look at different sporting events or different uh, types of sports coming into Vegas, I think that for us, it's really about what that, you know, we have the, the A's coming in, right? Um, what that does to the landscape of the city and is it beneficial or not the great thing about f1 is the weekend before thanksgiving was a historically slow weekend for vegas you know we we didn't really do as much it was always you know in the bottom 10 percent of our weekends it will now flip to become the best weekend ever right and so whenever we can leverage those sporting relationships people love to travel to vegas and what's great about bringing sporting teams to Vegas is people love to travel for sports, right? And so I, I think it's, uh, I read somewhere that we, you know, we, we have the most visiting teams traveling to Vegas to see their team be, because it is just that much, I mean, it's that much better to travel to. You don't want to go to, you know, some of these other cities. You want to go to Vegas, right? I want to go to the game that's in Vegas. And so we're seeing that with hockey. We're seeing that with football. Uh, we're seeing that across the board and it and the fact that we also have the Stanley Cup and that we have the WNBA championship trophy back to back WNBA championship trophy. Um, you know, when the when the Raiders get the Super Bowl trophy, <laughs> you know, and we we get uh, we get these teams. You know, I, I think that this will it just it just continues to grow as the sports destination in the world. Well, as it continues to grow, I wish you uh, lots of rest and a fully charged cell phone because you're going to be very busy. But thank you for taking some time to talk to us about that growth. Thank you. Thanks so much to Andrew for his time and his perspective. And it's not just properties like the Bellagio and the Venetian getting ready for an event like the F1. As they're ramping up for the Grand Prix, they also have to have plans in place for this little event called the Super Bowl that is coming to Vegas for the first time ever. After a break, we go deep on what that entails. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that you had the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grandma and Granddad. And when my grandparents were my age a long, long time ago, when people thought about Vegas, it was a forbidden place for sports leagues. It was a place you went to gamble or to have a good time. And now, when you look at the entertainment offerings there, it's about the culinary experience, 
the hospitality, the health and wellness sector is booming. The tech sector actually in Vegas is booming. The conference CES happens there every year. More and more productions are being filmed in Las Vegas because it is a little bit more economical than filming in a place like Los Angeles. BravoCon, if you're a reality fan like I am, just happened for the second year in a row in Vegas. But there is no event bigger for one host city than the Super Bowl in North America anyways. And quite frankly, the only thing that would rival it would be a World Cup host site. But the World Cup is just a couple games spread out over the course of weeks. The Super Bowl is one concentrated event where a league's entire fan base flies into a city as well as obviously the marketing, advertising, and corporate community. That's something that Vegas is, when you think about it, set up pretty well to host, even though they haven't done it before because they didn't have a team or stadium. Well, those issues are no longer there, which is why Sam Joffrey, the president and CEO of the Las Vegas Super Bowl host committee, went and took the job. He used to do the exact same role in New Orleans, bringing the Super Bowl and other big competitions like the Final Four to Louisiana. And now he is creating the playbook of how that will be done in Las Vegas. I caught up with Sam at the Las Vegas Super Bowl host committee offices, which are inside the UFC offices in Las Vegas, to talk about what Super Bowl could be like in Las Vegas, and how much they're learning from what F1 is doing in Las Vegas. Take a listen. So you're starting to get close, a couple months away. Vegas always has big events, but you have a unique one that, like Super Bowl, has never been here before, happening soon in, obviously, an F1 race. Are there any learnings uh, that your committee will draw from it uh, as you continue to prepare for Super Bowl being here? There are a lot of things that we've learned along the way from from the F1 build out and build up for the past year. You know, a lot of that's communication with the, the community. Um, a lot of that is in planning and preparation with Metro and, and, and public safety and, you know, just kind of the ways that, that, that Vegas is adapting to this new landscape of, of, of major sporting events. It's funny you say adapt because there are major sporting events here all the time. Right now it seems to be on a run, whether it's the Pro Bowl or the draft or obviously F1, Super Bowl you know, being big towards the end of it. But many people don't realize that more people come to Vegas for the Super Bowl than go to the host city. Host city now is Vegas. What will that entail in terms of being prepared for what that might look like? Can you even look at metrics of what the potential uh, impact will be? That's one of the really interesting things about this story is that, to your point, Super Bowl weekend in Vegas every year is one of the biggest weekends of the year already. There's just enough bandwidth there to be able to shoehorn in the actual Super Bowl. But what you, when you do do that, it's certainly destined to become the biggest weekend of the year. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there's if if that messaging to the world through the 6,000 members of the media will be here and the pictures that are shown of, of Vegas on Super Bowl weekend, how that's going to translate to next year's Super Bowl here and how much bigger that's going to be. But for this Super Bowl, we're certainly um, anticipating not just the additional um, fans, but you've got parties, corporate entertainment, um, a whole other universe of people that come along with this that are going to uh, fill that last remaining gap um, of bandwidth here in the city for that weekend. And uh, so it'll certainly be an incremental spend. It'll be a different type of spender um, that's coming for the actual Super Bowl instead of uh, every year the people that come to watch it in a sports book or to watch it at a big game watch party uh, or to be part of the excitement here. Uh, you'll have that, plus you'll have this incremental audience and incremental spend that I think is going to really move the needle. Do you have uh, a number, an approximation on what that looks like in terms of you know, heads in beds that weekend, what 
the the mass total of people coming through Vegas for Super Bowl will be? We're really excited to do an actual economic impact study post-event that will tell us that exact science. Uh, we'll be able to track everything from room rates to, to, to occupancy to secondary spending, uh, direct and indirect. Um, so we don't we don't have it right now. We've got projections. You know, even when we bid on the Super Bowl back in 2021, everything that we did was really kind of an educated throwing of darts because the stadium hadn't even opened. We didn't have a, a game, a Raiders game sold out at that point to be able to know what the staffing looks like, to know what the transportation looks like. So everything that we did during the bid, we're now starting to see materialize, and that's data that we'll be collecting during Super Bowl week. You're bidding, hoping to secure, uh, obviously, the Super Bowl at the time. When I got married, I remember the hotel manager was saying, like, I sell the dream, and then that wedding coordinator delivers the nightmare. And I imagine in some ways the Super Bowl would be somewhat similar. How close to what was bid will be the actual execution on Sunday? In the interim, how many things have changed either being by addition or by subtraction? Well, first of all, it's really funny you use the the wedding analogy because I use that one all the time when we talk about the NFL and and Las Vegas in their history of of forever not being able to even date or court or be seen in public together right. to it's very Shakespearean right to, to to now you've got the Pro Bowl that they kind of courtship and the draft courtship and now the Raiders and the stadium and and the Super Bowl is happening and uh, so Super Bowl is kind of like the wedding between uh, Vegas and the NFL and we as the host committee are the, the wedding planners so um, at any rate uh, Really interesting you use that analogy. So if you if you were to look back at our original bid and compare it to today, I think what's what's most interesting is that I came from New Orleans where f- for 25 years, major event would come. We knew exactly how to bid on it. We knew exactly what venues because there is one convention center. There is, you know, the one or two marquee venues that you know are going to be used for, for this, that, or the other thing. With Super Bowl, we had four convention centers that could have hosted the biggest fan event that the NFL does in the Super Bowl experience. Um, Tons of ballroom space, tons of special event venues and restaurants. So what we gave the NFL was a menu um, of all the different opportunities and ways that this could happen. Over the past couple years, that has now been drilled down, and we're about pencils down moment for all the venues and what it actually looks like. So it's not like we pitched A, and now here we're at, version three we pitched this menu of items that uh took a while to kind of drill down it's a luxury but it was also kind of a challenge too because venues are holding out for a long time saying are you going to use me or not so there are a lot of sensitivities there and uh moving pieces to the puzzle but uh, i think that was the most unique part about the transition from bid to hosting here was what do we take advantage of that vegas has so the equivalent for us in canada would be the great cup in the CFL, and that game is very dependent on who's in it and what fan bases are traveling to the key city to see it. Is the same true at all in the Super Bowl? Will the reality of what your team executes and what the feeling will be like inside uh, the strip in Clark County be different depending on who's on it? the Las Vegas Raiders aside, obviously? Yeah, there are, there's, there's some obvious differences when you start to look at the teams that come and the impact that that has on the on the game and the event. One is proximity. So if you do get a team that's within driving distance, you have a different plan you have to execute for the number of vehicles that are going to be coming and parking and staying um, versus spending patterns. You know, has a team been to the Super Bowl a lot in the past decade? And or is it their first time in 20 years? So there are a lot of variables that go into it. So we, we're always kind of waiting with bated breath until the championship game uh, to see who's going to come. So are you watching Red Zone Channel on a Sunday wishing for a team or a division or wishing not for a team or division because it'll make life better or worse? I, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm watching every weekend because there are some teams out there that I think would be incredibly exciting here. Uh, but the great thing about Super Bowls, no matter who gets in it, it's still going to be – the Super Bowl. It's it's uh, it's not necessarily going to be the success of the weekend. is not going to be defined by the teams, but it's certainly going to be um, uh, more colorful in one way or another. Who is here um, may impact price on things. 
how would the approach be around dynamic pricing given uh, that there's such huge demand uh, for literally everything that weekend? Well, I think, you know, dynamic pricing is, is the new norm. And uh, back to your previous question, I think that as teams start to get narrowed down, you'll start to see that work like the stock market um, and start to fluctuate based on the different markets that could be here. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly a reality that, that everybody watches these days. We did a helicopter tour over the Strip, and what jumped out to me was not just the amount of resorts, the sheer mass size of them, uh, all massive towers. Has anyone done an acute look at the amount of actual uh, potential occupancy that the Strip has in terms of how many people it can host at one time? Well, I know that there's 150,000 plus hotel rooms. Uh, you're seeing attendance numbers at New Year's Eve that push 300,000. So, um, as the little old host committee who's sitting here solely focused on Super Bowl, I'm, I don't have my fingers on that data exactly, but I do know it exists. That's that's data that certainly does exist, and we might be able to help you find some of it. And Vegas is a host city, and a city people come to for the iconic sites and for the shows. Super Bowl, no matter where it is, is a bit of a traveling roadshow. But what, if anything, uh, can be done to make sure that this Super Bowl reflects the culture and the tone that Vegas has normally? Yeah, I think we're starting to see that as people are planning their events and planning their parties and realizing that you know, Vegas does this 365 days a year. There's no shortage of champagne with sparklers going off at any given time. There's no shortage of red carpets. There's no shortage of VIP celebrity events. And the expectation is that when the Super Bowl is here, that that's just going to be taken to another level, whether you're talking about a residency or you're talking about um, a, a corporate event or a celebrity-hosted party, um, that everything's going to be kind of next level for, for Las Vegas. And lastly hosting big events you know in some cities is somewhat political the people who live there the residents uh, don't often want anything to do with hosting big events because of some of the hassles that it brings post this super bowl if there's one lasting thing that a tv audience member the nfl uh someone in the crowd or a local resident takes away from uh, Super Bowl in Vegas, what would you hope that that would be? We hope there's two things. One, we hope that there, you know, I, we kind of look at it as two audiences. There's the Super Bowl NFL audience and then there's the local audience. We want to make sure that on Monday morning after the game that everybody on the NFL and Super Bowl side of the equation, whether that's the owners, the media, the fans, um, the contractors, the vendors coming to work, that everybody on Monday morning is saying that was awesome, how fast can the Super Bowl come back to Vegas? But then we also want to make sure that our local uh, stakeholders, the small businesses, the volunteers, the community members, the nonprofits that are getting legacy grant dollars uh, as a result of Super Bowl, that everybody on the local side is saying, that was awesome, we can't, how fast can the NFL bring the Super Bowl back here to, to Las Vegas? So that's, that's our primary goal. Um, as far as the world goes, I think it goes back to what we're hoping that, that through the television broadcast and through all the media coverage that week, that everybody sees that other part of Vegas is happening outside the game and says, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to go to Vegas next year uh, to watch the Super Bowl. And that, that might be a legacy of Super Bowl in itself here is that, that we see that occupancy every year peaked out. Well, uh, it's happening here is a really uh, spot on slogan because clearly that's the case. There's been some really big appetizer events uh, over the last year plus, but really looking forward to the entree that is Super Bowl and what you and your committee can do here. So uh, good luck. Try to enjoy it and have fun. Um, but we're enjoying it thus far. Thank you. Thank you. And yes, it is happening here and we look forward to on Monday after the game saying it happened here and, and it's not the last time it's going to happen here. I'm sure on Monday after the game you're looking forward to sleeping. <laughs> Thanks so much to Sam Joffrey and the entire Super Bowl host committee for the information and the time. So I had a time in Vegas. As you can imagine, it was really cool up close at what is quickly becoming the sports capital of the world with 
the convergence of sports betting and increase in, in sports gaming and really a, tourism being a driver of sports consumption, Vegas is actually perfectly positioned to host uh, big events. So it was a real cool experience to be there and witness it firsthand. It was pretty cool. I, I got to see your uh, your IG stories, which was kind of like my <laughs> my 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 tour guide of Vegas <laughs> while you were away. I I actually I didn't even think to myself like, man, Donovan would have gotten to see the first Raiders game in the post Josh McDaniels era, and uh, right. they waxed the Giants. So I guess you you must have enjoyed watching that. That was pretty fun. Um, but uh, it was funny. I was looking at your IG stories, and it looked like you you mentioned it off the top. But uh, you you, re- you really have a tough job, man. You got got to eat a lot of uh, fancy foods and take. I think there was a helicopter tour in there. Uh, I think I saw yep. uh, the interior of the Las Vegas Sphere. Uh, can you can, can you explain for everyone what it is like inside the Sphere? Because I see the exterior on social media all the time, and that truly looks like one of the wildest things I've ever seen, honestly. You definitely saw a helicopter tour. Shout out to Maverick Helicopters for their hospitality and bring me back to Earth safely. Uh, from that vantage point, I did see the spear, and it looks just as wild from above as it does from the ground level or from IG, and it was a surreal experience. I mean, we've at this point become familiar with surround sound and going to a movie or setting up your home theater with surround sound and what that's like as an immersive experience. Well, think of surround video because essentially that's what it is. You have a screen that goes above you to the side of you. You are watching something in real time and you're seeing it forward, but you're also seeing it out of your peripheral vision which is kind of the way you see things in real life, right? That's how you experience the world. But to be able to see things in better than 4K that way was different. And also, the spear is massive, right? So the sheer size of the building, and it's uh, owned by MSG, so James Dolan finally got something correct, is is it's tough to describe and I was sitting at the top slash you know I suppose the back so the sheer height of where you are and uh, I went and saw you know essentially um, you know you know what is the equivalent of a a a natural geographic show right showing you great scenes of nature and and you know um, mother earth I I did not see you two but uh, I will say that some people uh, had to leave because it was so intense. I think that it was a bit overwhelming and you could get a bit sick. Now, that could be possibly because the show I saw started at 10 Pacific. And at that point, you know, some people have enjoyed everything that Las Vegas has to offer, if you will. But. Uh, all that to say, it's pretty cool. It was a wild experience. And uh, if you were there, you have to add it to your bucket list of things to see um, because uh, it was it was yeah wild to, to see up close and personal. And I'm glad I, I took it in, which is, you know, kind of like Vegas as a whole. The slogan is essentially it happens here, which is not wrong like whoever came up with that marketing slogan is spot on because name whatever it is whether it's in music or arts or culinary or um, movies television film drama broadway obviously you know gaming and gambling um there are an abundance of choices in vegas and the spear is a nice compliment to that i've always kind of imagined it to look like the like the the cinesphere like the imax cinesphere that you see at like uh, like the science center or the one down by ontario place but uh that it it, it definitely looks really really cool it is it is somewhat surreal to see the flybys on on football games whenever the raiders are playing and instead of seeing Allegiant stadium you see just like a, a giant eyeball in the landscape of of las vegas for example depending on what whatever it is they're showing but it is pretty cool you know i that does bring me to another point though you, you mentioned all the things vegas has to offer donovan and in the last 
I guess, couple of years, we've gotten to see more and more teams flock to Vegas. Certainly the Raiders, relatively speaking, recently moving from Oakland to Vegas. We're going to get the uh, the Athletics and in, in Major League Baseball also moving to Vegas if that deal goes through. The Aces were already there, and they're, they're the most successful WNBA franchise in recent memory, if ever. Uh, and now you have other franchises talking about how it's only a matter of time before there's an NBA team in, in Nevada and so on. I just, I, I find the conversation about where Vegas is as a sports city so fascinating. And I mean, the Vegas Grand Prix is just another step and another feather in their cap. But it's, I find it so interesting because it, it, it feels like it wasn't that long ago. Like it was maybe right before Going Deep became a podcast, but it, not that long ago that Vegas just did not have pretty much any teams that were not named the Aces. And now they're going to be one of the premier sports destinations in North America. It just we're long removed, I guess, Donovan, from that point where people had the concerns of, oh, could professional athletes control themselves around all the gambling and all the, the vices that exist for them in Vegas. We're like, we're way beyond the pale in that sense. We are. And to put a pin in the spear conversation, uh, the show I saw was Darren Arnofosky's postcard from earth. First multi-sensory film. Even the seats moved. And he's and a weird director, too. Like, So you know there's some weird stuff going on. It, it, there was some weird stuff, for sure. I, I was in love with the 18K resolution of the screen. I wasn't in love with some of the plot line of the storytelling. It was a little bit uh, too um, high-tech kind of you know futuristic for me but uh in terms of you know the future of vegas from a sporting context like it's not just that they have teams well raiders aside who um are have not been a good team maybe i don't know actually liking your coach might change that but they've got teams that matter like the knights came in immediately competitive just one but more importantly i think they fundamentally changed the in-house production in nhl arenas they've raised the bar and i don't think anyone's going to get close to where they are but they've kept the ethos and the culture of all things las vegas in terms of putting on a high level show the aces have been incredibly uh you know successful both at the box office but on the court and they have raised the bar in terms of the WNBA and their treatment and give Mark Davis credit. They have their own uh, training facility, uh, which most you know WNBA teams do. They train at a university or college or at a NBA team's facility when the NBA players are not around. So the level of care, I mean, the fact that they broke records in terms of what they were willing to sign Becky Hammond for as a coach, again, like raising the bar. And I think when you're in a city that is so highly competitive for everyone's entertainment dollar, you can't cut corners and just expect that people are going to show up. And I think we've seen that in terms of how the sports teams are built. But I think you've seen that success begets success and other sports teams now want to follow suit. So whether that is the Oakland A's and how that's going to work and whether or not you're going to need essentially air conditioning in a baseball stadium to be able to watch baseball outdoors through you know the dead of of summer uh in the desert but the raiders are there and you know they are a international brand but also you know they're a team that it's not unlike people from california whether they're ace whether they're raiders fans or uh from oakland or from la to do road trips get in the car and go to Vegas so their fandom hasn't skipped a beat and if you are a visiting fan and you're looking at your team schedule well why not go see my team play in Vegas so definitely the bars continue to be risen the in-season tournament in the NBA is just another trial balloon to having a full-fledged team there there are not-so-secret rumors as to when a Las Vegas team is going to be awarded in the NBA and who that owner will be. Um, Google it. But essentially, you know, people think that's pretty much done. 
and summer league has been successful in Vegas for a long time. The in-season tournaments there, you know, they've they've had all-star games before. And, and when I was there, I think the other thing that struck me is you don't really realize it, but all of those towers are massive. Like every single hotel can put up thousands and thousands of people. So when you think of a big sporting event or a league flocking to one place at one time and having enough heads and beds, well, yeah, I Vegas is able to do that because in such a concentrated area, you have such capacity to host. And even with that, during F1, you know, the hospitality industry is expecting the average room spend to be increased by $2,000. So not the cost of said room, that will obviously be dictated by some dynamic pricing that an actual scientist would be able to speak to better than I, but they're expecting people coming to Las Vegas to spend 2000 more than they would in that city for a run-of-the-mill weekend. And it, we don't really realize this as Canadians, but the F1 race is happening in and around you know American Thanksgiving, right before. So that's generally a downtime when it comes to tourism and a downtime when it comes to Las Vegas. So in Q4, all of the gig economy workers, the Uber drivers, the Lyft drivers, because Lyft is so much bigger in the U.S. than it is in Canada, the you know restaurant hostesses and barbacks, they're all going to be making much more off a tip out than they naturally would. So Vegas is quickly building a calendar where they're going to have massive events in that city year round, and a lot of them are going to be tied to sports. I just I do wonder how the NBA's eventual, you mentioned it, but the eventual arrival in the city will be received probably very well. I mean, it's funny to think that the next two, much like the NHL, and you mentioned the Golden Knights, it's funny to think that the next two additions to the league, much like the NHL and and adding Vegas and then Seattle, could end up being Vegas and Seattle again in the NBA. I just, real quick, before we go, Donovan, you mentioned the, the rumors around who might be the uh, the next owners of of a potential NBA franchise in the desert. I, it's funny because I I always thought it was going to be LeBron. It was just going to be LeBron will just play a couple more years, he'll retire, and then immediately go the MJ route and become an owner, a part owner of with some ownership bid. But I, I actually have also seen rumors that Shaq wants to be an owner as well. And it's funny because of all the various media personalities and former players. Those are probably the first two that come to mind. I'm not sure if you were referring to a third person, but it's just funny to think that either of the two, the game's greatest players ever could could essentially be involved in owning the next startup franchise, which I'm sure the expansion fee in the NBA, it was already hundreds of millions of dollars in the NHL. I can only imagine what it's going to be in basketball. I was not referencing a third person. Shaq is interesting because he has already been minority owner of the Sacramento Kings. So for him to want ownership stake, he like wants the big stake. He wants to be the person sitting at the board of governors meeting, you know, influencing things. And certainly he has enough money to, because there's a bunch of companies that Shaq owns or part owns that people have no idea so I, I think that's certainly an intriguing name. The, the other implication for me, when it is inevitable that Vegas and Seattle uh, get teams, is what that does for the the conferences and the divisions. Right now, the NBA has it pretty clean. Three divisions in each conference of five teams, totaling 30. When you go to 32, theoretically, you're going to four divisions. Uh, in each conference of eight. So how do you break that down? How do you do the math? But see, so divisions in the NBA, down. like they, they hardly matter anymore. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they're just there for like scheduling purposes and like they don't actually matter into playoff matchups, for example. They don't, but they do matter in terms of scheduling purposes because, and again, we'll see if this changes when you add more teams, but theoretically stick to 82 games. You know, right now you play your division, uh, you know, each team four times, right? So, you know, do the math. You're playing such a concentrated number of games in your season against division opponents. So if we pick a division like the Pacific, for example, you got the Warriors, the Suns, the Kings, the Clippers, the Lakers, all five of those teams expect to be in the playoffs. So you're playing such a concentrated amount of games against good teams. So those 
games matter maybe not in your division standings but they will matter in the conference standings if you're doing much better or worse than the other teams in your division but also when you look at that division four of those teams reside in california we're not going to break them up so you know theoretically in this scenario you're you're taking the suns and putting them somewhere else maybe you have a desert division where the las vegas is also in a division with the suns but essentially two teams who are currently in the west are going to go east so what that means potentially for the minnesota timberwolves i suppose or you know theoretically you know some of the teams in texas um will will be interesting but again there are three teams in texas so theoretically you'd want to keep them together so all of those machinations will be interesting in an era of uh the famous uh you know load management and a, a big part of that is with travel and whatnot and in you know back to backs and so how does that impact you know the schedule all things uh you know i was not thinking about when i was in vegas but i do think about um when you're potentially adding another team uh in las vegas and the other thing i, would, I did think about when i was in vegas was well, what other either sporting events or events at large could come to Vegas. You know, you look at something like EDC, the huge uh, EDM, you know, uh, festival that takes over the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and essentially pays to be there. So much so that the Las Vegas Motor Speedway is allowed to do a bunch of other things with that increment revenue that they wouldn't be able to do given the margins otherwise like they have at night you know fast and the furious type events with drag racing where you could pay 25 dollars and bring your car and show off the need for speed Uh, venues like that in vegas are provided opportunities because so many events want to come to vegas a funny story about that is you know they have grass in the infield at las vegas motor speedway because not because it looks good because that's what the promoters want for the rave so that people can jump and dance on grass or lie and sleep on grass. But in Vegas, because they're in the desert, you get fined if you have real grass. You're supposed to have essentially artificial turf. But it's so lucrative that they're willing to pay the fine. So my mind just wanders in terms of what other massive events, uh, concerts, even, you know, Potential residencies uh, could come to Vegas. Could you have a sports residency where a league says, you know what, we're going to have the All-Star game there five years in a row. Or we're going to have the college football championship there five years in a row. I, I, I don't really see why not. You know, it's funny. The residency thing is exactly what I was thinking, too, because, I don't know, it kind of feels like when it, whenever a, a popular musical act signs a residency in Las Vegas, it kind of means, like, you're towards the end of your career. Not always, I know, not always, but it's it's typically for, it's, like, not for, like, the Taylor Swifts of the world, and it is for, like, uh, uh, other, uh, uh, other artists who are looking for more stable, regular showtimes. But the sports residency thing is really interesting because I've long felt, Donovan, that the Super Bowl, for example, uh, to tie back to one of your earlier conversations on this podcast episode, but the Super Bowl, I've always felt, should just be, instead of them always handing it out to different cities, and, and I know in effect it is like this, if not in actual practice, but uh, it, I've always thought it should be just, they should just name four cities, and they just rotate between those four cities every year. And and they, again, more or less do that already with, all, with just handing out additional Super Bowls to cities that build new stadiums. But now that Allegiant Stadium is brand spanking new, I, I, I don't really see a reason why the Super Bowl every three to four years shouldn't just always be in Las Vegas. Like Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Phoenix, uh, and I guess what uh, Tampa or New Orleans, like those are the places that the the Super Bowl usually is. And I just have, I've kind of always felt like because a big part of the Super Bowl, as you talked about earlier, is just not only the game itself, but everything that surrounds it. So why not have it in the places that are the most premier destinations? Well, the good people in Miami are upset that you left them off the list. But I would even say, like, can we strike Tampa off the list? Like, yeah, the the, the weather is great, but 
the weather's great at a lot of people. The stadium is not near what you have now in Las Vegas or what they built in LA and SoFi. I think we're going to be coming to a stage where build a new stadium, you get a Super Bowl, and then we're done with you. And then outside of that, it will be the cities that you've described that maybe you know what fine houston will throw you a bone we'll have something at you know reliance stadium or sure jerry you know we're not sure uh, how much longer you're going to be with us we'll give you a super bowl in texas even though like logistically that is a bit of a mess because of how far the hotels are from the actual stadium which again brings me to my further point vegas is laid out perfectly for all of this you could literally walk to uh, the stadium for most uh, places where you stay, uh, like the Mandalay Bay, if you will, um, because they've done this for generation. It was just was for big prize fights. Now, with I would argue, football becoming the new boxing, uh, they're essentially doing it for NFL games. Before we end, I want your perspective on the actual race, like the the reason I was there in the first place because there was lots of consternation about you know Miami getting a race and the fact that the track to start wasn't really good enough and and really you know it was all about being seen and and not the race and and Max Verstappen had some comments saying he doesn't know why there is a race in Vegas like he he doesn't think it necessarily makes sense I would not answer um you know your checkbook is why Max because Red Bull will be activating and throwing a bunch of parties um and it's it's good for F1 but it's one of the scenarios where can you keep both sides happy? This race is happening at 10 p.m. at night Pacific, so in the middle of the night uh, Eastern, to make sure that the European crowd is happy. So it's a it's a night race. It's a Saturday race as well uh, because you know of the you know the wants of uh, the local community, and so uh, it's the first Saturday race in almost uh, 30 years. Last place they had a Saturday race was South Africa. Next year, the Middle East and countries are looking to potentially follow suit uh, with a Saturday race. But, you know, some of the activations they're having uh, is, you know, the an LVCVA, which is the local um, organizing committee's a skybox with, you know, classic Vegas style, entertainment all of the time, unlimited food, unlimited drinks. Actually, all tickets that get you in uh, have unlimited uh, food and beverage. The the stadium is, uh, or the paddock is, is massive. It's, you're going to be able to host 100K per day coming through. But I, I wonder what you think this will mean for the actual competition in in race because Formula One fans are pretty hardcore and they like tradition and they like history and they're going to be tracking exactly how fast are these cars going at top speed and is this track up to snuff and are there, you know, a subsequent amount of turns that make sense given that this is a street race. Uh, and they're predicting the top speeds actually to be 212 miles per hour, which is comparable to Monza. But we, they're having opening ceremonies with 10 artists like Keith Urban and Steve Aoki and all 20 of the drivers. They're bringing the drivers from the finish line to the fountains at the Bellagio to celebrate after the race. Like a lot of this is for the show. And I, I wonder how that'll be balanced with the actual race and what the racing community will feel about this race afterwards. What, what are you expecting? Well, it's funny, Donovan, because I think a lot of people feel like, because I think they announced the Vegas race in the spring of last year. So it's been quite a long time in the making, but it's just funny to think that a lot of people are like, oh, it can't fail. There's no way it can fail. And when when you went to Vegas, I was doing some reading on the on the history of it, and I remember thinking, "Boy, I actually didn't realize that there had been an F one race in the Nevada desert back in the '80s. I think it was like the Caesar's Palace race or something like that." And it's funny because at, in the '80s, and the, the same line of thinking I'm sure existed then as it does today, which is just that the 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 very entertainment focused nature of Vegas, the very glitzy glitz and glamour of Vegas of Sin City is so perfect for the sport where when you win, you're spraying champagne everywhere and doing all sorts of fun things like that. Uh, I 
I, I do have the same wonder about whether or not it will be good for the actual racing, but boy, you like, there's, there's no way that you could have a race in Vegas without the pomp and circumstance, because that's just like the, it's like the DNA of Vegas. I say this also as someone who has literally never been to Las Vegas. I've never been, I would like to go at some point, but uh, it just, it's such a part of the city's mystique that it would feel almost wrong for you mentioned the Miami Grand Prix and Miami has its own mystique, but it'd be, it'd be almost feel wrong for Miami to get one and Vegas to not get one. And I'm not really sure there are a lot of other cities that carry that kind of, that kind of idea in maybe the rest of the United States, like Los Angeles, New York, and other places are big cities as well. But I'm not sure logistically it works as well as it would for, for Vegas. So I, I do think you're right in that, Maybe the actual racing might not be quite as strong as it would be if you were looking at like the European circuits or or elsewhere. But I I really do think when it comes to trying to market to people who are not just hardcore fans, this is going to be a key step because I mean you know they they they've been trying to make inroads in the United States for a really long time and they have and you and I have talked about it in the past going back to the the Drive to Survive Netflix series. But boy I I, I do wonder if this is successful they're gonna be taking a lot more larger steps. And I, I honestly wonder what larger steps can be taken in, in the United States. I wonder as well. I, I, I do know this. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be smooth. The first time of doing anything never is. If it pops on Instagram, though, ultimately it won't matter. And people won't remember the long lines or the track mishaps. And I think they've committed to be there for a while. The paddock that they have built is massive. There's more garage space in, in this uh, paddock than there is across the F1 tour. So we, we expect to see lots of real good drive to survive access uh, coming next season on Netflix. But they literally built the massive paddock that's not going anywhere. It's not the, you know, Toronto Indy, where essentially they, they put up some chain link fence, have a race, and then tear it all down. And, and later that day, you didn't even realize that anything w- was happening on Lakeshore. Uh, this is a presence. So I've committed to be there for a long time. F1 is committed to getting it right because it, their name's on it. Liberty Media is running this race. So whatever happens, I'm sure it'll be better next year than it is this year. Hopefully, I'll be there. Uh, Thank you for being here and listening to this. Make sure to like, favorite, share, subscribe, and let us know what you think of the race, whether you're there in person or getting up at night and watching it on TV. Thanks for listening.